going to talk about uh, everybody's favorite topic. We're going to talk about uh, the devil and demons today. That's um, actually not usually everybody's favorite topic, but it's something very important that I think we need to talk about because the Bible's full of it. And we preachers, myself included at times, have been negligent of actually teaching what does the scripture say about demons, the devil, and how we should respond. I want you to know this, that I believe that the devil loves how the Western world looks at demons and the devil because he operates best when he can operate hidden. He operates best when he can fly under the radar. And so that's why in the Western world, it's not uncommon for people to say, I mean, surely you don't believe in the devil with the red tights on and the horns and the pointy tail and the pitchfork and all that silliness. Surely you don't believe in demons. I mean, my goodness, we're educated, you know, sophisticated people now. We don't believe in all that superstition and fairy tales and nonsense. And man, the devil loves that. I mean, that is perfect. He can just fly right under the radar and do whatever he wants to do. Can you imagine being an enemy army? going in to conquer a nation, and the nation said, we don't believe there's an army after us. We don't believe that there's soldiers out there. We don't believe that is like the easiest way to win a battle is to be hidden. But the devil usually likes to do one of two things, either stay hidden, which I believe is his goal, or if he can't, he likes to act like he's super powerful. Hollywood does a good job portraying the devil as just so powerful that, you know, the saints of God and even Jesus himself can barely handle the devil. That's not biblical, by the way. So we're going to look at what does the Bible say about all of this. So I want to look at Corinthians. The Bible, uh, there, Paul's actually telling them to forgive somebody that in 1 Corinthians they had to deal with harshly in church discipline. By the way, church discipline's a thing of the past. You know, if you try to discipline somebody, they just go somewhere else. But Paul was actually would discipline those who were in gross sin. And so now it's time to forgive. The guy's repented. He's come back. The congregation said, what are we supposed to do? And Paul answers this. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now we read that to get to the next verse. The next verse says, in order, the, re the reason we forgive, the reason we let things go, the reason we walk in forgiveness, first of all, it replicates the way God operates. But we do that in order that Satan, did you, did you hear that word? Satan, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Some translations say so he might not gain an advantage over us. And we know we're instructed over in Scripture not to give the devil a foothold. So in order that Satan might not outwit us, we live and operate in the life of forgiveness. For we are not unaware, we are not ignorant, we are not uneducated of his schemes, devices, tricks. And so the enemy, this is not my message, but one side note is, if you struggle with forgiveness, it's time just to come before the Lord and say, hey Lord, I need your help with this because, as Satan will whisper to you, oh, do not forgive that person who wronged you. That offender does not deserve that precious gift of forgiveness. And you'll go, yeah, that's right, they don't deserve that. Well, it's a scheme, it's a trick. It's a device of the devil because he wants to keep you all tied up in your emotions and your thought life and your energy and your physical body gets all tied up in knots because you operate in unforgiveness. And so forgiveness really is a precious gift to you. And it, it releases the stronghold, the 
the scheme of the devil off your life. So he has schemes. It's not the only one. He has tricks. He has devices that he uses. And we don't want to step into a snare. I always think of those big old bear traps. You know, you don't want to step in that and have a close up on you. And that's what the that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to close up on you. He wants to trap you. He wants to trick you. He wants to stop the forward momentum of your life in God. That's that's his goal. So we're going to deal with dealing with the devil and demons today. That's our topic. And the Bible's very, very clear that there is a devil and that there are demonic forces. In one of my earlier drafts of this message, I had lots of verses on there that we were going to look at. And I thought, you know what? I think most people here know in the gospel and in the book of Acts, there's demonic activity going on all the time. And there's plenty of verses for us to look at. We're going to look at a few of them, but just want you to know there are many, 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 many more verses that we could look at today. But we need to be educated and understand what the Word of God says about the devil's passion. You have an enemy of your soul, the Bible says, and he wants to thwart your forward momentum. So Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Think clearly, he's saying. Your enemy. Now, isn't that interesting? He made it personal. Peter said, your enemy. It's not just the preacher, the missionaries, you know, the evangelists that have enemies. Every believer and follower of Jesus has an enemy. In fact, I want to back up and say this. Every human being has an enemy. I don't care if you're an atheist and don't even believe in God. There's an enemy of your soul. And, of course, if you're an atheist and don't believe in God, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. That's perfect for him. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the what? Devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. So our goal is to be undevourable. If that's a word, I think maybe it is. Undevourable. We don't want to be able to be devoured by the devil. So we're going to learn today, how can I be too tough for the devil to eat? So Jesus is dealing with the devil, the demonic, with regularity. And I just picked out one of these in Luke 13. Luke 13, 10 through 13 and verse 16. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a what? It didn't say crippled by a donkey cart accident, did it? Crippled by a spirit. Crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. Now, you might have seen some people like this. And by the way, if you see someone like this, it does not mean that they have a demon spirit. But you might have seen people, they, they are crippled over. And she was bent over and could not straighten up. Now, she's been like this for a long time. So, obviously, she's done everything she knows to do to overcome that, that infirmity, that problem in her body. She's done everything, but she can't fix it. She's bent over, and she can't straighten up. Sometimes there are demonic forces at work in people's lives, even maybe yours or mine, that we need to be alert and watch out for. Because just because you're a Christian doesn't mean the devil can't bug you or pester you or, or oppress you or, or a demon of some kind. But I want to say this. I want, want you to know that it's my belief that when I become a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, I become the, my body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in me. And so it's my opinion, although there's other learned people that think differently, you can study it out for yourself. I don't believe the Holy Spirit will share my body with a demon. So I don't think Christians can be demon-possessed 
they do believe they can be oppressed and pestered and bothered. And even Paul talks about messengers of Satan coming to him to buffet him, to push him back, to keep him from having forward momentum. I think that can happen. And we need to be alert and mindful to watch out. Could something demonic be going on here? And so Jesus is dealing with that. So Jesus calls her forward and said to her, woman, you are free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, which is very common when Jesus prayed for people and the early church did. And immediately she straightened up and did what? Praise God. I always think of that phrase because sometimes people are struggling with things in their lives and could be very demonic in nature. And what, you know what we tell them? Just straighten up. Well, that sounds good, but this gal tried to physically straighten up and couldn't do it. And sometimes people struggle even in their behavior to straighten up and they couldn't do it, and there very well could be something demonic going on. And so she begins to praise God. By the way, a side note, the spiritual leaders get after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. You, you Wouldn't you think somebody would be happy? Now, I think the congregation was. I think Jesus was. I think Sister Margaret here was. I don't know that her name was Margaret. We'll call her that because she got, got healed. But the spiritual leaders are, well, I don't know. You shouldn't have really healed on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus said? You hypocrites, if you had a donkey or oxen that fell in the ditch on the Sabbath, you'd get out and rescue the thing, wouldn't you? And rightfully so. Should not this, then we pick up on verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, she's one of her Jewish sisters, Jesus was saying, whom, who, who's the next one? Whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. I guarantee it felt like 18 long years to her that she had been bound up with that. Should she not be bound or set free from what bound her for 18 long years, should she not be set free on the Sabbath? And the answer is yes, she should be set free. So many, many times Jesus, when he dealt with uh, physical issues or sicknesses or infirmities, he dealt with the demonic while he was doing that. But I want to make this clear, not always, not always. Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. Sometimes those merged together. Sometimes they were two separate things. There's a story about Jesus being in a village and they brought all the demon possessed and all the sick. And they put them in two different categories in the scripture and Jesus dealt with all of it. Didn't matter to him. He was going to deal with it, whether it's demonic or physical. He dealt with all of it. So many of healings that Jesus did just took authority over sickness or an injury or an infirmity or disease with no demonic play mentioned at all. Jesus healed blind people, lame people, leprous people, the withered hand and others. There's no mention of a demon being involved. So it's really probably important that we pray, Lord, what's going on? You have anything nagging you in your life? Maybe it'd be time to pause and say, what's going on? I mean, we don't think about this, but could, could Satan have assigned a demon to torment me or to buffet me? I'm going to tell you the answer is yes, he could have. So be aware, be alert, be watchful, be mindful, be sensitive. It would be a good idea for us to pray, Lord, give me that discerning of spirits so I can tell what's going on here. And I believe the Lord will help us with that. So one side of it, sometimes he's healing people and the source of it is demonic. Other times it's just physical. And so it's nice to have some insight in that. But think about this. If you are taking authority over a demon in somebody's life and there isn't one, that's futile. You can say, I'm going to cast out that spirit of infirmity. Well, what if there isn't a spirit of infirmity? What if they're just sick? 
What if they're just injured or hurt? But on the opposite side, what if somebody is troubled by a demon? You can send them to the finest medical institutions in the world, and they won't be able to fix them. And the people will be frustrated who are trying to help them because I think most people in the medical world have a heart to want to fix people, help people, you know, bless people. And they're going to be frustrated because I can't seem to make any progress with this. That's because it's not physical. It's spiritual. And so Jesus dealt with both of those things. So I believe sometimes that the two often merge. Sometimes in a, do you, do you ever notice how sometimes in a, a sick moment or a, a weakened state that you're not the same person you are when you're well rested? I remember one day I was in here and, and uh, I'm usually pretty calm, mild-mannered guy. And Darlene and jo- Joni were saying something to me and I, I got snarky with them. And she looked at Joni and said, he's cut down on his carbs this week, you know. And I thought, hey, that's the truth, you know. Uh, throw him a pizza, it's, I mean, he'll be fine here in a minute. Uh, so sometimes when our bodies are going through something, we actually can be different even in our, our behavior. So I think when we're weak, and I didn't say that was necessarily a demon that made me snarky, but I can tell you that there are things when we're going through something physically or emotionally or mentally that we respond different. And I want you to know this about Satan and his demonic cohorts. So listen carefully. They are evil, vile, ruthless, hateful. They're void of care and compassion. They're not playing fair. They have no honor, no sympathy, no love, and they hate human beings. And if you get a chance to read some of the screw tape letters or go through that. It's not the Bible, by the way. It's a satirical, made-up story by a brilliant guy named C.S. Lewis. It's still worth reading because you'll see, oh my goodness, he has an insight on how the enemy pesters us and works on us. But you will see that he's the, the devil's not fair. He's not loving. He's not kind. And in screw tape letters, we are, because it's from a demonic point of view, we are vile human beings. And so, Satan hates us. And should we do something crazy, like give our lives to Jesus? He really hates us. Now, you can say, well, you're, you're scaring me. Well, we're going to get to that. There's, there's no need to be scared. But there is a need to understand the authority that we have in Jesus. So, Satan and demons have no problem attacking the weak, have no problem attacking the ignorant when we're ignorant of something. That's why Paul said we're not ignorant, I think the King James says, of Satan's devices. We're not unlearned because we don't want him to gain an advantage over us. So we need to learn the Word of God, learn who we are in Christ to operate in the authority that we have in Christ that's so freely and lovingly and kindly given to us by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as his children. And so the remember the devil was pointed out earlier like a lion, Remember, a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour, to eat. Now think of that imagery because that came from Peter and from the Holy Spirit of a lion. Is a lion fair when they're hunting game? Does a lion look out there in the pride and see that one of the younglings have wandered away from the crowd And does the lion look over and say, boy, they'd be a tasty morsel and we could get them easy. Yeah, that's not fair. You know, 
they wandered away from the herd. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be sporting. We we won't go after that one. By the way, there's a real danger in us spiritually when we wander away from the herd. Everyone needs a church family and a church community uh, where there's some herd protection there, loving and caring and praying for you. And so the one that wanders away, no, they'll take advantage of that. Does a lion look at a, a limping antelope who's nice and fat and juicy and say, you know what? It wouldn't be fair to attack them. They can't run as well. No, they will hone in on the weak, the infirmed, the one that's been separated, the young, the slow. They will focus in on that and take advantage of that lion's will. And the devil's compared to a lion. So we want to be strong. We want to be tough. We, we want to be uneatable. Is that a word? Okay, I just we just make them up as we go. Now, sometimes I think the the physical and the spiritual kind of converge um, that the devil takes advantage of a weak moment. My mother was um, uh, having a physical ailment and she had not slept well for about three days. And so we get a call from my dad and brother and said, can you come over to the house and talk to mom and pray with mom? And I said, absolutely, we'd be happy to. So Darlene and I load up in the car and we head over to, to see mom. Now, mom has not slept well in three days. Have you ever gone without sleep for a day or two? It's really traumatic. You know, it really, it really messes with you. And so we got over to the house and I'll set up the table here. We got over to the house and mom's sitting at the table and she looked kind of weird because she hasn't slept for like three days. So she's, she's not really with it. And she's just sitting there and she's got her hands up here and she's just kind of staring off zombified. Again, she hadn't slept well for three days. And so I, um, Darlene and I walked up and started talking to her. She could answer anything. She was fine. So she was there and, and I said, how you doing? Fine. You know, ask her a few questions. Fine. And then I had this idea. I believe it came from the Holy Spirit. I think we like to make the Holy Spirit like mystical, magical, and the heavens opened and an angel came and delivered a, uh, you know, a papyrus to us for us to, to read. No, what happened was I was sitting there thinking, and I remembered that my mom had mentioned that she talked to a friend of hers about two or three weeks earlier. Now, this friend, this couple had been friends with my mom and dad for, for all their lives since they were teenagers. And they were a wonderful couple and very sweet, but my mom was always troubled because this gal would not submit to Jesus. She always was in new age cult kind of stuff. Sweet gal, if you met her on the street, wouldn't be like she'd want to, you know, sacrifice a chicken to sprinkle blood on you or anything. It wasn't like that. She was just into new age cultish kind of stuff. And my mom, all my life, I heard how troubled she was and just really wish she'd come to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So Darlene and I are there and we're talking to her. And all of a sudden I had this thought, ask her what she thinks about so-and-so, the cultish person. And so I said, hey, mom, I have a question for you. I said, what do you think about so-and-so? And she went, oh my, she is a spiritual giant. She is just so spiritual, so, so in tune with the things of the spirit. I thought, okay, that's funny because all my life, she was somebody who rejected Jesus and got involved in the cult and was involved in, in new age kind of stuff. So I went, okay, something's up here. And the devil snuck in. Now, do I believe my mom was demon-possessed? Absolutely not. My mom was a real-deal believer who loved Jesus. In a weakened moment, she's being tormented by, by demons. And so I said, um, 
Mom, I said, we're, we're going to pray for you. And she's sitting there. This will be, I may not remember every word, but this will be real close to what was said. She said, that's fine. She said, just that she had all these parameters for our prayer. Now, she didn't say one, two, three, four, but it's all in things. She said, that's fine. She said, just, just pray a, a really nice, you know, sweet prayer. And she said, uh, don't, 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 don't mention the devil or demons or anything. And she said, and, and don't lay hands on me. And she said, and don't, don't use the name of Jesus. Okay, so you get the idea here. Somebody who's loved Jesus all of her life says, don't use the name of Jesus. Don't lay hands on me. Uh, don't talk about demons. Just pray a nice little prayer. You know why? Because the devil knows a nice little prayer don't do nothing. A nice little prayer doesn't do anything. And so I said, no, Mom. I said, we're going to lay hands on you, and we're going to take authority over this spirit in the name of Jesus. Gospel truth. She looks up at me because I was like standing over here, and she says, I'll kill you. I said, okay. I mean, she's threatened that before. Uh, no. No. Actually, she hadn't. I have a hard time passing up a bad joke. So she said, she literally looks at me, very weird. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't Hollywood weird, but it was pretty weird, and says, I'll kill you. I said, okay, well, we definitely got the demonic going on here. So we lay hands on her, pray for her, take authority over that spirit. As soon as we're done, by the way, nothing emotional happened that I remember. There was no sense of God walked into the room or anything. We just did what the Bible said to do. And we prayed, took authority over that spirit immediately. I mean, immediately, the next things out of her mouth was, I'm tired. I want to go lay down. And she went and slept like a baby. That, the devil is evil. He's awful. He's not honorable. He's not loving. And he will take advantage of people. And that's where we saints need to know who we are and what we are in the Lord. Now, you may say, well, I, I wish I were courageous like that. Well, I wasn't courageous. Well, I, I can never do something like that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It doesn't come from a place of spiritual arrogance. I'm God's man or woman of power. No, it comes from a place of humbly accepting and acknowledging who we are in Jesus. Who possesses us? Who lives in us? Now, here's some important truths to keep in mind as we deal with the devil and with demons. So pay attention here. First of all, Helping those who are caught in demonic bondages does not depend upon a particular type of giftedness. Well, I don't think I have the gift of exorcism. There's not a gift of exorcism mentioned in the Bible that I'm aware of, but it comes from knowing who we are in Christ. So some gifts, like I think that's probably a word of knowledge the Lord gave me, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We said, ask, ask her what she thinks about so-and-so, and all of a sudden she's, you know, thrilled with this person uh, because the devil was thrilled with that person. But Jesus wasn't. Jesus loved that person, but they were in the cult, in a cult. So I want you to know this. The authority, the victory, the protection, the position that we have is necessary for ridding people in situations of demons. And that is freely given, listen to me, freely given to every Christian. If you came up here to the altar a little bit ago and gave your life to Jesus for the very first time and you're now 20 minutes old in the Lord, you have authority over Satan and demons. Well, I'm not old. No, no, you have authority immediately right then.
I worked at the company one time. They hired a new hire guy to take over a department. And he took over that department. I mean, like three days later, I thought he'd been there for 30 years. I was 20 years old at the time. He was about 40. I couldn't even figure out how to make the phone work. And, and he was like running this department. Well, when he said something on the first day he was hired in that department, he had authority. Well, no one said, well, I've been here longer than you have. Well, but he was given a position. He had authority. The second thing I want you to know, and this is very, very important in dealing with the demonic, they are not superiors for you to fear or yield to. Satan and demons are not superiors that you need to fear or yield to. They are not entities to respect. Demons are not your spiritual equal. They're not your sparring partner or boxing partner. Positionally, they have been placed beneath your feet. They've been placed beneath your feet by the delegated authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it's all about the authority we have in Jesus. And so Ephesians 1 says that when Jesus rose from the dead, the Father exalted him far above. I love the phrase far above. Exalted him far above all power, all rule, all dominion, any name that can be named, and lists some other things, and said he's far above all that in this life and the life to come on planet Earth and in the heavenlies, Jesus is seated far above it at the right hand of the Father. Now, anytime I teach on this, I always say, well, good for Jesus, but chapter 2 says, and we have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. So where is that? Far above all rule, all power, all authority, all dominion, any name that can be named in this life and in the life to come. So, period. is Jesus is the source. Jesus is the one who gives us this power, not we ourselves. And he could say, well, but you were a seasoned pastor and, and you were older than the Lord, so that's why you could do that. That's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. That's exactly what he wants you to believe. Well, you could do it because... You know, you're like a pastor. No, I could do it because I happen to know that I had the authority given to me by Jesus. That's the only perk I had was I was crazy enough to believe that if we laid hands on my mother, took authority over that spirit in the name of Jesus, that it had to let go of her. It Now, just in case you say, yeah, but didn't have some to do with your age. Not really. Not at all. When I was about 15 years old and didn't even have a driver's license, a buddy of mine was over to the house. He was a Christian young man who loved the Lord. His father was a pastor, real, real deal believer. And we were getting ready to crash out for the night. It had come to that time in, in the evening. And so my buddy said to me, I'm going to have one of those dreams. And I said, what do you mean you're going to have one of those dreams? He said, oh, my God. said, he said, I used to have these dreams I can't even describe, and they were like sticks bumping into each other. It was it, When I had that dream, I would go just mentally out of my head. You know, it would really affect me in a big way. And he said, I'm going to have one of those dreams. I said, how are you, you going to have one of those dreams? I mean, we haven't even, you know, crashed out for the night yet. And he said, I know this sounds weird, but I can taste it in my mouth. I said, man, that's the devil. I said, that's demonic. I'm, I'm like 15 years old. I said, we're going to take authority over that thing and pray over that thing in the name of Jesus, and you are not going to have one of those dreams. And he said, let's do it, man. 
And so we prayed together, agreed together, took authority over that. Now, this was different than my mom's situation. When we were done praying, and I wouldn't exaggerate this, I have no desire to make up a story. The presence of the Holy Spirit came into that room so thick and so amazing that this joy began to bubble up out of us, and we began to laugh uncontrollably. And you go, well, you know, maybe you just found something funny. I didn't find nothing funny. In fact, I was trying to squelch it. Here's why. My parents loved their sleep. And if we made noise upstairs, they were not shy. They're very gracious parents, but they were not shy when it was bedtime. They walked to the stair step and yell upstairs, boys, quiet down. We got to get up in the morning and work. Keep the noise down. So I was like saying, we can't do this. We can't laugh. Ha 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 ha. You know, just, you know, come out. It's like, oh my gosh, stop it. And, and uh, isn't that horrible? You know, you stop it, Holy Spirit. And uh, we just laughed for two or three minutes, just boisterously, aloud, beautifully, and refreshingly. And uh, then that kind of lifted. He slept, never had that dream again. Now, that is because of Jesus, not because, man, Tracy has been so equipped in the rules of exorcism. I probably didn't know what that word was, you know, back, back then. It was just, what's God say? Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he sent out the 72, or the 70, depending upon what translation you're reading. These guys, by the way, were rookies. They were not seasoned, trained ministers. They were rookies. And Jesus sends them out and gives them authority. And they come back with joy and said, oh my goodness, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, Jesus did say, don't rejoice that demons are subject. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Amen. It's the fact that your name is written in heaven that makes you powerful anyway. And by the way, it's not a, well, you got to say the certain prayer or you got to feel like you're, you know, got the Holy Ghost today or, or boy, you had a really good day. No, it's not any of that. There were seven sons of Siva, Skiva, that whose apparently their dad was worked in Jewish exorcism, and they go in to cast a demon out of somebody, seven of them, one person with a demon. And they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of him. If anybody remembers the story, the story was this, that demon looked at them and said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And beat the stuffings out of them, and they ran out, it said, bloody and naked, because that one person overpowered seven. So after all this joy they have, Jesus says in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority. Now, some of your translations say power. That's a fine translation, but I like authority better. The Greek word there is exousia. I've given you authority, exousia, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power, the dunamis of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Exousia means the power to act and authority. Dunamis means might, power, and raw strength. In the example I just gave you, the, those seven people had neither. They didn't have authority, and they didn't have power. Going one-on-one with that demon-possessed guy, he could beat up seven of them. So I don't recommend that we go one-on-one with a demon without the authority we have in Jesus. But Jesus gives us authority. Now, it would be like 
I want you to understand the difference between authority and power. Picture this 200-pound, ripped to shreds, MMA, cage fighter, champion. Just think of me. And, uh, and so he's driving down the road, driving recklessly, dri oh, breaking the speed limit, doing all kinds of wrong you know, things with this automobile, and he sees some lights come on in his rearview mirror. He goes, oh. And so he pulls over to the side of the road. Then out of the car steps a 97-pound lady, an officer, maybe 120 with her gear on, and she walks up there and wants a license and registration. I, you all know you've all been stopped, haven't you? Okay, by the, maybe not doing that, but you, so you hand the license, you hand the registration. Now I'll guarantee you that the guy's mad. Because it doesn't matter how bad we break the law, is it? If we get pulled over, we're aggravated. Well, I was only going to 120 in a 35, you know, that's okay. Uh, so he's aggravated, he's upset. I, I want you to think of this. Providing she couldn't grab a hold of her weapon, all things being natural, wouldn't you agree the 200-pound champion MMA fighter could have beat her up? Yeah. I mean, she might have got a weapon fast. That's providing she wasn't a Kentuckian. Then uh, they, he would been he would been fine, but for I always support you female Kentuckians here being tough. Okay, so why does he do that? Why doesn't he just get in a fight with her? Why does he just he takes that ticket? He's bad. He's upset. He's going to gripe about, whine about, and he's going to pay the thing. Why? Because she had authority. She had authority. The 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 whole power of the police department backs her up when she pulls somebody over. Satan and demons cannot overcome the delegated authority of God. We are his ambassadors. This is what the scripture says. We are ambassadors of Christ. Ambassadors are somewhere in a foreign land representing a homeland. You and I are strangers passing through. Abraham looked forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. You and I have been translated, if we're genuine believers, if we're real Christians, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And so in the earthly realm, an ambassador is backed by the full weight of the nation or kingdom that they're representing. And depending upon how powerful, how weak that nation is, that lets you know how much power is behind him. But the good news is that you and I, the kingdom backing us is the kingdom of Jesus. And he literally is the king above every king. He is the Lord above every Lord and all the power of heaven. I don't even know that the devil and demons can even argue with the delegated authority of Jesus. But if they did, trust me, all of heaven would step forward and deal with it on your behalf. So that's who we have. So we pray for those who are oppressed or afflicted by demonic activity, and we do so in the authority that Jesus gives. We don't pray in confidence in ourselves. We don't pray in confidence that I think I said the prayer right. I guarantee you, if you go online, there's some special prayer for praying for those who are demon-possessed. Scratch it. Don't even worry about that. Or, man, I've had a spiritually good day. Or I'm sensing the Holy Ghost, man. I can, I can pray. None of that matters. None of that. No, we pray because Jesus said we had authority to pray. We have authority to pray. We are empowered by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, 
and it's been delegated to us to pray. So in Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus has the disciples and other followers are standing around. When he says, then Jesus came to them, the resurrected Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. The therefore go is implied that because it wouldn't mean anything that Jesus had all authority if we didn't. He said, I have it all. Now I'm giving it all to you. Which again is what Ephesians 1 and 2 says and what Luke 10 said. It's been delegated to us. And in this verse, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And in verse 16, he says, but very truly, I tell you, it is, it is for your good that I am going away Unless I go away, the advocate, or some of your translation may say counselor or comforter. And the, the word there, paraclete, is, uh, in Greek means advocate, intercessor, consoler, counselor, comforter, helper. If I don't go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. Because Jesus said this to him, when we, if you read all 14, 15, and 16, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one like me the Holy Spirit. And probably the, the clearest definition of what a paraclete is, that, that Greek word there, is one called alongside to help you, one called alongside to aid you. And so you're stepping in to deal with the demonic, maybe in your own life or somebody else's, and you say, hey, this is, this is you know above my, my clearance, and the Holy Spirit steps up and says, yeah, it's not above mine, so let's go make this happen. Let's go make this happen. Well, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just do it? Well, that's a whole nother sermon. But God gave dominion on planet Earth to people, to human beings. Jesus, God clothed himself in a human body because of that, that rule, that way he set up planet Earth, that even God obeyed that rule. He stepped into this world clothed in a human body. And when he rose again, he gave authority to human beings to go do this in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So, let's use that authority that we have been given. It's been given to us by Jesus. When appropriate in our lives and lives of others, let's pray with confidence. Take authority over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and believe that nothing will harm us. Because the devil's a liar. He'll say, oh man, you don't, you don't want to mess with the devil. Who's telling you that? The devil, you know. I mean, you could, you could get in trouble if you did that. I mean, he already hates you. What more trouble do you want to get in? So you just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the Bible says. People need help. We need help at times in our lives. Pray, take authority over that because there is an enemy of your soul and my soul. There is a devil who wants to devour us. And we're not supposed to be afraid of that. In fact, our closing verse will tell us that when we resist him, he flees from us because we have authority in Jesus. Let's pray together.